Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I begin, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. For centuries, long before the arrival of Europeans, the indigenous battled each other throughout North America. While we know of only a small fraction of these battles, historians know the last one quite well. It would occur on October 25, 1870, when the Cree and the Blackfoot took part in the last battle between the indigenous and the Canadian prairies. It was the Battle of Belly River, and would feature some very well-known participants. Before we get into this battle, though, we have to go back a bit and look at the political makeup of the prairies through the centuries. Long before the arrival of European traders and explorers, the prairies were inhabited by the Blackfoot Confederacy and the Iron Confederacy. The Blackfoot Confederacy was made up of the Blackfoot, the Bloods, the Putcanoe, the Blackfeet, and the Sarsi. The Blackfoot Confederacy had controlled the area from the Rocky Mountains in the west, to the Great Sandhills in Saskatchewan in the east, from the North Saskatchewan in the north, to the Yellowstone River in the south. As for the Iron Confederacy, that was made up of the Plains Cree, the Assiniboine, the Plains Ojibwa, the Stony, and some of the Métis. The Cree were by far the largest group within the Confederacy, and the Iron Confederacy had started to move west with the Hudson's Bay Company coming into the territory of the Blackfoot in the first half of the 1700s. At first, the Iron Confederacy were trading and military allies with the Blackfoot, but as time went on and Europeans began to encroach more on traditional lands, taking resources and pushing the indigenous away, the two allies would become enemies. As the bison herds began to disappear, the Iron Confederacy continued to move west, into the area of where Regina would be. The next decade, they moved further west, while leaders such as Big Bear and Piapot saw that the times were changing, because as more settlers arrived, the bison began to disappear. Horse raids, skirmishes, and small conflicts would take place, but would all come to an end with the last indigenous battle in Canadian history on October 25, 1870. Just prior to this, the Blackfoot had been hit hard by smallpox, courtesy of an outbreak from a riverboat that went up the upper Missouri and arrived in the region, and wiped out half of their number. Dr. George Allen Kennedy would say, The epidemic left in its wake entire camps of Blackfoot dead lodges. For the Iron Confederacy and the Chiefs Piapot, Big Bear, Little Mountain, and Little Pine, the impact of the smallpox on the Blackfoot presented an opportunity to expand their own territory into the Cypress Hills. Near Medicine Hat, a war party of 600 to 800 indigenous was raised, consisting of the Cree, the Saltu, and the Young Dogs, and they set out from future Saskatchewan, following the South Saskatchewan River, armed with bow and arrows, muskets, and hand-to-hand -hand weapons. As the party neared future Lethbridge, legend states that Piapot had a dream that predicted the defeat of the Cree. In his dream, a buffalo bull with iron horns attacked the Cree, and despite their efforts, they could not kill the beast and were terribly defeated. After Piapot awoke, 
he thought about the dream and believed that it foretold the defeat of his war party. Piapot told the others about his dream and stated that he would not take part in the battle. Several others also abandoned the battle plan and went back east with him. The entire exchange was apparently reported by a young 10-year-old boy named Iron Horn, who had apparently witnessed it. Whether this account is true or not I can't say, but it helps build the legend of the dream. According to the account, Piapot said, My children, I had a dream last night. I saw a buffalo bull with iron horns goring, stamping, and killing us. We were unable to destroy it. After long mediation, I have come to the conclusion that we must abandon the venture and return home. Otherwise, misfortune awaits us. Another war chief, believing Piapot was wrong, apparently replied, My children don't believe in a dream. Advance and capture the Blackfoot nation, women and children. The smallpox killed off most of their fighters, so we won't be opposed by any great number. The Cree would send scouts out and soon discovered a blood camp near Fort Whoopup along the Belly River. The scouts decided to steal the horses at the camp and return to the main party of the Cree to report what they saw, where they reported 60 lodges. The Cree chiefs took the scouts' information at face value and decided that they should ambush the camp at night. What the Cree did not know was that the camp was merely a central part of the much larger winter camp of the Blackfoot that extended along the river. While the Cree outnumbered the small group, the small group had better rifles that were superior to what the Cree had. Now let's take a break from talking about the Battle of Belly River to talk about marathons. You remember way back in May I did an episode on the Marathon of Hope. And as every Canadian knows, Terry Fox, with only one leg, ran a marathon a day, halfway across Canada before he was forced to end his journey because his cancer had returned. Well, if you're thinking about doing a marathon, then I've got the podcast for you. It's Marathon Training for Beginners. If you're a beginner when it comes to running or you are simply thinking about running, this is the podcast for you. Moe and Harrison Crummer, they figure out on air how they're going to structure the podcast and what the content will be. It's all unrehearsed and unedited, and it's the most real-life running podcast you will ever hear. Now, you don't have to be Terry Fox running a marathon every single day to raise money for cancer. You can just be somebody who's looking to get fit during these days of COVID-19 without having to go to the gym. For those looking for content on marathon training, running, lifestyle, first-time marathon, half-marathon, 5K, 10K, and more, this is the podcast for you. You can find it on all podcast platforms, and it's great for everybody from the beginner to the expert. The Cree War Party set out to ambush the Blood Camp, and according to Francis Red Crow, the grandson of Blood Chief Red Crow, the Crees came across two isolated blood teepees at the base of Temple Hill, near present-day Raymond. In those teepees were two families of Bloods, who were on their way to join the main party. According to Red Crow, the Cree killed everyone in the teepees except for one boy who had hidden himself. After the Cree moved on, the boy ran from the teepee to the main camp and warned the Blackfoot of the Cree war party. The Cree then arrived at the small camp their scouts had seen and began attacking, slitting open teepees and attacking the people inside. The women of the Blackfoot camp began to swim across the Belly River to get help from the larger party. But one Blackfoot story tells of a woman who took a tomahawk and killed four Cree by herself. In the battle, Mountain Horse, the son of Mountain Chief of the Blackfoot, along with the brother of Red Crow, were killed in the skirmish. Due to the commotion, several Blackfoot warriors began to arrive and fighting continued through to daybreak. 
With the Blackfoot was Jerry Potts, who had become a legendary guide and scout for the Northwest Mounted Police one day. With the greater number of Blackfoot arriving, the Cree were pushed back towards the river. The Blackfoot were spread across a coulee from east to west, while the Cree were in the parallel coulee to the south. For the next four hours, the two forces exchanged fire. At one point, two South Pegans mounted their horses and galloped along the ridge to get an estimate on the strength and position of the Cree. One was killed when he was shot with an arrow, while another had his horse shot out from under him. The combat would go on through the day, and as the day wore on, Potts noticed a small butte that overlooked the Cree. He led his party to it and began to fire down upon the Cree. The Cree were hit hard by Potts and his group, and they began to scatter. Potts then took this opportunity to charge the Cree, who fell back onto the river, allowing the Blackfoot to press on the Cree, who were now trying to get across that river. Calf Shirt was a seasoned blood warrior described by some as a chief, and he was told about the battle happening at the moment as he had just returned from a hunt. Before he left, he promised his father that should he fall to a Cree arrow, he would not take it out. According to the stories, Calf Shirt grasped his knife and ran to the Cree where an arrow hit him in the wrist, but he would not stop. He remembered his promise to his father and did not remove the arrow, instead picking up a bow and killing an archer with his knife. He then began shooting the Cree, taking several down. One account says he had arrows in his neck and arms, but he was still able to kill two Cree warriors with his knife. Potts would later say, you could fire eyes shut and kill a Cree that day. George Kennedy would say, a head, a hand, anything was enough to shoot at. One indigenous man named Big Brave would say of the battle, I could not hear for the roar of the guns and could not see for the smoke. Many of the Cree took off running along the open prairie but were taken down by the Blackfoot who were pursuing them. The Cree that did try to make a last stand on the open prairie would lose 50 men. By nightfall, the Cree had made it to a strand of trees, but they were surrounded by the Blackfoot. The Blackfoot then decided that the battle was over, and they returned back to their camps, and they allowed the Cree to retreat with their dead and wounded. By the end of the day, 300 Cree were dead, while 40 Blackfoot were dead. The move by the Cree had failed in terrible fashion because of an underestimating of the Blackfoot numbers and how many had died from smallpox. While the scouts had seen 60 lodges at the camp, there were actually more than 200 lodges nearby that were not seen. Big Bear and the other chiefs had lost half their force, and Big Bear had lost his son as well. Seeing no other way forward, the Cree would send tobacco to the Blackfoot, and in 1871, with the help of Chief Crowfoot of the Blackfoot, a treaty would be negotiated between the two nations. The Blackfoot then allowed the Cree to settle nearby and hunt bison from their territory. Jerry Potts would go on to become a guide with the Northwest Mounted Police to Fort Whoopup, ending the illegal whiskey trade in the region. Potts would pass away in 1896 in Fort McLeod and was given full honors from the NWMP. Big Bear would go on to sign Treaty 7 with the other indigenous of the area, and I did an episode on Big Bear and I think you should check it out. But his hope of having reserves adjoined to each other to create an indigenous nation within Alberta and Saskatchewan was blocked by the Canadian government. In 1885, despite attempting to keep the peace, Big Bear would be imprisoned and convicted of treason in the Northwest Rebellion, and he would die a few years later. Piapaw would eventually move out to the area of Indian Head, where he would remain for the rest of his life on a reserve. While the Canadian government declared that the Sundance was illegal, Piapaw refused to honour the law. The Canadian government then tried to remove him repeatedly as chief, eventually succeeding, but he still remained chief in the hearts of his people and he would pass away in 1908. Calf Shirt did not take that arrow out that had struck him in the wrist, 
and he would return to the camp where it would be taken out by the Blackfoot. As for the battle site itself, it would become the Indian Battle Park in Lethbridge, but much of the park has been covered by housing developments. A city council motion in 2005 attempted to rename the park Valley of Peace Park, but that was defeated. The area where the battle was fought today is recognized as an Alberta historical resource and a national historic site through the federal government. In 2020, the debate over renaming the park came up again due to the negative connotations of the name, and Mayor Chris Spearman would say, We would want them to tell us what would be respectful and what would be appropriate in terms of Indigenous culture that Lethbridge City Council could consider. While the name of the park may change, its role in Canadian history is cemented forever. I hope you enjoyed that look at the Battle of Belly River, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.ca. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to canadaehx.ca. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. Information comes from Hammerson Peters, The Canadian Encyclopedia, Shino Dreams, Wikipedia, VirtualMuseum.ca, American Cowboy Chronicles, Maclean's, Lethbridge Herald, and My Lethbridge Now. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.